The Operations Leadership Podcast with Gautam Basu provides insights for today's business leaders on creating value through operations improvement, process excellence, digital innovation, and organizational leadership. Our guest for this episode of the Operations Leadership Podcast is Vikash Sinha. Vikash is an assistant professor at the Aalto University School of Business in the Management Accounting Department. He's considered a subject matter expert in the areas of risk management, internal controls, and corporate governance. In this interview, Vikash will discuss some of the principles, practices, and structures around corporate governance, why corporate governance is especially important in these times, and last but not least, why operations leaders should pay attention to corporate governance. If you like what you're hearing in this podcast series, we kindly ask you to subscribe. Enjoy. Hello, Vikash. How are you? And welcome to the Operations Leadership Podcast. Hey, hi, Gautam. Nice to be here. Great. All right. Maybe we can start with uh, a general question on, uh, well, maybe a little bit about your background and what got you interested in the topic of corporate governance and risk management? Hey, thank you. I'm assistant professor of management accounting at Alto University School of Business. I hold a PhD in industrial economics and management from KTH Royal Institute of Technology and a PhD in management, economics and industrial engineering from Politecnico di Milano, Italy. Uh, my research focus during my PhD years has been on risk management, internal control, and corporate governance. I was mostly interested in banking sector while I did my research. And that comes from my own professional background. I have almost eight to nine years of experience in financial services consulting, especially on automation, risk management, and also risk measurements. And you know, when in banks uh, you deal with risk management, it's pretty institutionalized and there are a lot of regulations that you have to take care of. And the anecdote is every time I did some consulting, I found that we talk about risk management, but it's such a complex thing that people really don't understand what risk management is. And then when you go to the board level, then definitely boats are concerned about the strategy and other aspects more than risk management. But this is where, you know, the entanglement of the two topics became interesting for me during my PhD. Because in my own experience, I understood that boats devote a lot of time making a strategy, talking about big issues and big pictures. But they really do not understand the small things that they should. Of course, their time is limited. But then understanding what is happening in the firm is important for strategizing. Goes back to the classic old saying that you have a strategy, you want to make certain profit, then you have to take certain level of risks. Though I would say that in recent years, uh, focus on risk management and internal control is increasing and boards have been pushed to do this uh, by regulators, 
Mm-hmm. And and so, if I understand correctly, risk management. So, is this primarily the audit committee that is uh, looking at these, um, let's say, risks on a corporate wide, and that kind of touches the uh, intersection between corporate governance and uh, internal audit and risk management. Is that correct? True, true. That just a small uh, uh, argument here that. Uh, we have to understand that financial services is the place where a lot of good corporate governance practices have emerged. So if you normally look at banks and financial services and insurance firms, audit committee is looking at something called retrospective risk, Mm -hmm. what has happened. And then many firms also have what I would call risk committees that are looking more at prospective risks. And then of course, as we discussed, you know, risk is a fundamental part of your strategy. How you make profit depends on what kind of risks are you willing to take. Right. So, of course, board in general have to look at macroeconomic conditions, firms' internal resources, health, financial, as well as, you know, what kind of capital you got and, and what can you make out of it. Mm-hmm. Okay, interesting. And... I guess for the re- the listeners of this podcast are primarily more from the operations side. So uh, could you explain to us what actually is corporate governance? Uh, what are some of the key principles, practices, uh, maybe some stakeholders of corporate governance? And, and why is it important? Thank you. Uh, this is a very interesting question, but let me... Take it in parts. So coming to what corporate governance is, I would say corporate governance is about structures, institutions, rules, practices, processes that are all designed to direct, control, and manage a firm. And what is the purpose of this directing, controlling, or managing is firms achieve their purpose. And then that purpose is implemented properly as a strategy and shareholder value is reserved. Now, when I talk about shareholder value, this is what some people will call an old paradigm where owners or principals of the firm, their profit-making motives were more important. And now we see an emergence of stakeholder perspective on firm where, you know, owners are one stakeholders, then you have governments, especially when there are a lot of regulations. Then you have society at large. Some people will claim environment is a stakeholder. And I will come back to this stakeholder question later. But the second part that you asked, what are the key structures and principles? So the key structures are, if we think at any public or private firm, You have shareholders who meet during practices such as annual general meeting and then talk about important issues. So this is one element of how owners, you know, participate directly in limited liability companies. And and more and more regulations are coming here and more practices are emerging. Then these shareholders in some way appoint the board. Because in annual general meeting, you confirm board 
And a lot of people, when they think about corporate governance, they relate it to board. But board is another element. And board works, as we discussed a little earlier, in different committees. Audit committees on retrospective risks, risk committees for prospective risk, and then you have compensation committees, which has become very important because executives' compensation are an important way to guide whether they are following what board wants, what board wants is what shareholders want. And these days, of course, I will come back to the question of stakeholders a little later. And of course, executives themselves, chief executive officers, operational leaders like chief operating officers, financial officers, and these days, information officers, they are also an important part of this corporate governance paradigm. Now, what are the differences between these three elements is the day-to-day management is done by CEO, CEO, CIO. And depending on the firm, there is certain level of independence here or CEO assumes top-level position. Then, you know, most of the firms, larger firms, smaller, medium-sized enterprises these days as well, uh, they have boards. Now, a little earlier, I talked about boards being, you know, board practices emerging in financial sector. But really what is happening today is uh, these practices are diffusing into other sectors. As and when, you know, regulators are seeing that some of these practices are good, so, so, so we have to take this into account. Then coming back to practice and rituals, which are always there in management practices. So shareholders have this annual general meeting. And the recent trend is they not only approve, you know, board appointments, certain issues, but these days there is something that is coming back to shareholders is say on pay. It's a very important aspect where shareholders can have a say on what should be the level of compensation and bonuses for top executives. Now, again, here, this regulation is being implemented and it's rudimentary in different parts of the world. And and there have been some evidence that it works. The second ritual that is emerging, I would say, is and which is linked to uh, sustainability is uh, shareholder activism. So you have activist shareholders who are pushing agendas. Because again, you know, just to clarify, American firms tend to have more dispersed ownership. If you exclude the high-tech sector, high-tech sector is a new phenomenon which, is, which has more concentrated ownership. Also different kind of share classes where owners have 18% share but 70% voting rights. So voting rights is what matters. Uh, uh, and, and this is designed through financial instruments. Mm-hmm. The, and, and ownership equity that, okay, it's an A-class share and it has more voting right than the percentage of shares. So, so we have to understand. But in Europe, if you look at it, traditionally, if we look at Finland, Germany, you have had families that own very large corporations. Not to say that there are not such corporations in the U.S., but that's a traditional difference. You have more dispersed ownership in the U.S., less dispersed in Europe, Though these differences, if we look at high-tech sector, US, is, US companies are also very. And, and, and this is where, you know, activism is also important because minority shareholders can form a block of 5% and then push their agenda. Mm-hmm. So these are kind of rituals that are emerging in shareholders. When we think about boards, irrespective of all the structure and committees, they have basically three things 
to take care of. Two of them are what they discharge as their duty all the time. One is steering the strategy, being a sounding board for the CEO, and also being, and that's where the relationship between CEOs and boards. And just to clarify here, if you think about a dispersed ownership, where no one person owns 5% of the firm, then definitely CEOs have more power because you see then boards will have representation of different shareholders. But if you have concentrated board, then you will have more representation of family or concentrated owners. So this difference is important because uh, if you have more dispersed ownership, CEOs get more power. Mm-hmm. If you have more concentrated ownership, the owners want to keep the power, so CEOs have less power, and that is visible in the board as well. And, and boards normally discharge duties of you know, advising for strategy, steering, depending on what kind of board it is. Monitoring is an important aspect, and it's emerging a lot, I would say, these days. Given all these scandals that we see around us, Wirecard failed. And if you look at the board did not take action. If, if we go back to concentrated ownership, which is mostly in Japan, Toshiba had a scandal in 2015, but the scandal was running for several years. And it was financial misrepresentation scandal. And, you know, given the culture in Japan, boards were ineffective. So, so that's another thing, you know, we will discuss it later. You might have, and I will come back to it, what people are pushing for independent boards. Mm-hmm. So the more independent board members who do not have something in common with the share owners or something uh, they are independent of the managers, they don't have that relationship, is very important. It's being pushed around. Uh, but still boards can fail. Because think about it, normally boards meet four times a year and the committees meet separately four times a year, six times, let's say, which means they have a very limited time and they can devote issues on very limited, uh, they, can, they can take into account very limited set of issues. So, so that's where, you know, the prioritization matters. And that is driven by managers themselves, right? So they can influence the agenda because internal company information when you monitor a firm is very important. And third is, I would say, special actions, especially when firms go bankrupt or they want to expand, they hire board members that have a special expertise. For example, if a company is going bankrupt, they want to structure their capital, then it would be very interesting for them to have somebody who is embedded in financial industry. So board members can bring their network. Other example, a company wants to expand to India, then they will try to hire somebody who is knowledgeable about that market in India. So then they would get some resources, the network of the board member as well. So this is in brief, you know, practices and rituals, board meet four times, they get agenda, which should actually not be vetted all the time by CEOs. Of course, CEOs have a lot of say, but I think good boards also meet other leaders, and we'll talk about it, operational readers, uh, internal control heads, 
chief financial officers and sometimes without the CEO so that you know they get an independent view of the firm. Coming back to this idea of shareholder versus stakeholder view, this is becoming very, very important. EU corporate governance guidelines, the new ones that they are going to propose are going to take this into account. And, uh, and there is a risk of having a stakeholder view as well. The, glass, uh, the grass looks greener on the other side. Because we know from a lot of research and practices that if you give multiple targets to CEOs or even CEOs, you can't measure all of them. Some of the tasks will be simple, like have you responded to clients if we talk about CEO or CEO? Uh, have you attended the meeting? Have you formulated a strategy? These are simple. But what is the content of that strategy? How have you implemented? It's a complex thing to measure. So we already know that if CEOs are given and they have complex tasks, it's very difficult to control them. So given that they will have multiple goals to achieve, they will have a lot of discretion and a leeway to say that we did our best. Also, if you think about sustainability issues, they cannot be measured perfectly. They are like economic externalities. We do some action and something happens. We cannot measure all the things that happen. And that's where, you know, sustainability and science about sustainability is. So, so I think there are good things about it. The stakeholder view that employees should be happy, unlike in Amazon, or, you know, uh, uh, you should take care of the environment, uh, unlike, fossil fuel companies. But I'll come back to this as well. All these are also general topics and general things. We tend to generalize. Okay. But not necessarily all firms are bad. I think <laughs> they're trying to do a lot of good things, but... Yeah. All right, good. Things up here. Yeah, I mean, you, you touched upon it a little bit, but maybe uh, something around this uh, ESG or environmental social and governance. I, I understand this is quite a hot topic at the moment. And I guess it refers basically to a set of standards for a company's behavior that's primarily used for socially conscious investors to screen potential investments. So I, I think this touches on some of the things you've mentioned already, but could you tell us about the importance of ESG, especially from a corporate uh, governance perspective in recent years? I mean, here we have to also understand one aspect that corporate governance is about monitoring, right? Board is about monitoring the actions of the executives. Now you have other monitoring mechanisms, which I will call external monitoring mechanisms that are appearing, which were there. For example, financial analysts, they collect information, find the financial health of the firm. So, so sim in a similar fashion, you have ESG ratings which are becoming very important. And you have MSCI, a firm that does Refinitiv, owned by Thomson Reuters. And, and many other firms are, you know, kind of rating ESG, environmental, social, and governance aspects. Also, you have to understand here, another external monitoring mechanisms that are becoming important on top of this, if we think about ESG is, and I will come back to why this is important, are investigative journalists. The whole Wirecard scandal was, you know, investigated by Paul Murphy from 
Financial Times. If you look at also a lot of ESG issues, these investigative journalists went to Bangladesh, looked at the condition of people there or the Foxconn factory in China, and the news broke out that Apple is talking about sustainability, but they are actually not following it. So ESG is extremely important for boards. Why? Two reasons. One is, of course, it harms their firm. If they don't take into account, firms will have reputational damage. Given how society is moving, it's not happening today, and there are reasons for it, but there may be younger generation that may not buy products of firms that have bad ESG rating or they're in the news media. The other thing, it matters for directors themselves and CEOs themselves, because directors with tarnished reputation or CEOs or even CEOs, which play an important role in the supply chain issues, as I touched, who are your suppliers? Are your suppliers, you know, uh, not using slave labor and all these kind of ideas? Or uh, so, so that's where, you know, this becomes important for operational leaders, board members, CEOs, all kind of leaders. Reputation matters because you won't get a job. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's interesting. I mean, you touched upon some of the the examples of, let's say, good versus bad. And you mentioned some of the uh, poor corporate governance. You mentioned the, the Foxconn, this uh, wiretap, uh, wirecard. Yeah. Wire uh, what are some examples of, let's say, for example, good corporate governance uh, that you've seen in your either career or academic research? Can you name a few cases? And what, what kind of distinguishes good versus bad? Thanks. Uh, first of all, it's very easy to identify bad corporate governance. There are hardly any firms listed in the U.S., the large firms, that haven't had any scandal. And that kind of goes back to the idea that I was raising with you. Are boards really capable of monitoring everything? Uh, and because they have limited time, the information they get sometimes is diluted by executives themselves. Uh, and this, of course, depends on different parts of the world, but there have been a lot of scandals in so-called developed countries as well, which kind of points to, can we really distinguish between a good and a bad corporate governance? Because if we distinguish it by outcome, that there should be no fraud, there should be no reputational damage to the firm, it would be difficult to say that any firm has a very good corporate governance. But still, there are certain things and practices that can make a corporate governance good. Presence of more independent directors, motivated directors. Because you can be independent, but you may be uh, not motivated to discharge your duties. Devoted directors, which means they have time for your firm. There are cases where people sit on 12 boards. So are they able to monitor the firm? Or are they even able to advise the firm? They, are, they have so many duties. So what I will say here is four characteristics that directors need. And I will go to the director level because I think board has a very important role in good corporate governance. Uh, 
So you should have independent directors. You should have directors who are not busy. They have time for your firm. You should have motivated directors. And the fourth characteristic is they should be competent in different areas. Some should know finance. Some should know uh, strategy. Some should be from different industries. For example, banking companies, they struggle a lot from operational issues. They have a lot of operational risk, which is about fraud. They can benefit from hiring operational leaders in their boards to understand why processes are important. In other way, I would also say that some firms could benefit from hiring people who know finance. But financial literacy of directors was an issue in 1990s. Today, it's really not an issue. Most of the MBA courses that people go through, they have some literacy about what financing is. So operations, therefore, is a very important aspect for banking. And I will give an example here of that corporate governance. What was the problem with British Petroleum when Deepwater Horizon happened in 2010 or Boeing 737 MAX failure happened recently? CEOs were rewarded for financial performance. And if we look at both these industries, they should have operational excellence. They should have safety culture. And if you look at the independent investigation report by different agencies, Environmental Protection Agency for British Petroleum or uh, FAA unreluctantly had an investigative report on FAA, all these point to the issue that safety culture was completely undermined. And these issues are very important because these firms, oil rigs are such a sensitive, you know, part of engineering. And you are, you are in deep water systems where it's very difficult to amend engineering failures. So therefore, what matters is safety culture. So how can I say sitting here that these firms have issues with safety? Because... Deepwater Horizon was the only case which became so popularized, but there were tons of safety failures and they were reported by occupational safety hazard agencies in various operations of BP. So that was, that was the culmination of several symptoms. So therefore, you know, BP could have benefited from having a, a, a board member who understands safety issues. Same thing with Boeing. You are in aviation industry, of course, the conditions, you know, they were very ripe for Boeing to make, you know, bad decisions because it's a duopoly between Airbus and Boeing. Of course, you have some smaller firms in Brazil like Amir, but, uh, but, but, but they don't compete in the segment. These two firms compete. And Airbus has done extremely well with their new model. So therefore, Boeing had a pressure to launch their product. And then, you know, they gave financial incentives to the CEO, Dennis Muhlenberg, that go ahead and do it. Mm. And mm. then operational issues were undermined. So, so this good and bad thing depends on, as I will just touch upon it is, in which sector are you operating? And board, boards are an important aspect of it. Yeah. And, and I think you touched upon it. Is the question I would really ask is because most of our listeners come more from the operations background. So um, 
if you think about things like corporate governance and you think about operations or supply chain oriented work, which most of our listeners do, um, do you think, you know, it behooves some of these uh, corporate boards to include more operations expert. You mentioned the uh, deep sea, uh, deep horizon uh, 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 work at BP, and also the uh, the Boeing. So there's probably some supplier and and safety issues there that kind of touches more on the operational side. So what is your view on uh, why um, corporate governance is? let's say, very relevant, especially in the operations leadership perspective? And do you think that it would be beneficial for uh, corporate boards uh, to include folks with more of an operational uh, background? Absolutely. My, my answer to this will be absolutely. If we look at the ailing sectors of economy where time and again frauds are uncovered, banking, high-tech, fossil fuel companies, manufacturing. It's becoming marginalized, engineering excellence firms. That's where all these issues are happening. BP is an example, but BP is the only example. You know, before the advent of media, there have been cases from ExxonMobil and all these fossil fuel firms. They had a lot of oil spills in Nigeria and different parts of the world, and nobody knew about it. So, and why did they have this? Because they hadn't had good operational leaders on the board who could question the CEO about whether your operations are working well or not. Same thing with finance industry. My own experience there, you know, it suffers from what I will say operational myopia. They just don't understand that back-end processes. These kind of things matter. And, and until unless we understand that we have to have a strong process, uh, you won't have checks and balances. So, Operations are becoming very important. Now also take a look at the current condition in which, you know, economies are working or the global political situation. So one issue is definitely COVID pandemic. If we think about it, it has increased sovereign debt of governments. Now, what problem does it create is if governments already are heavily indebted, they can't make policies where they can rescue any corporate that is going to fail in this macroeconomic condition, especially when we are almost, we haven't yet achieved the peak of recession. Different analysts will talk about it. Maybe in next two quarters, we will be at the peak and then inflation will start going down. Then uh, if you also think about the war in Russia, uh, which has precipitated the idea of a multipolar world. Decoupling from China is an important issue that should you have a supply chain in one country because during COVID supply chains were affected. So where do you settle these you know, suppliers? Where do you find these new suppliers from? So all these issues are becoming very, very important and in the next five years will play a very important role in determining which firm becomes successful and which firm goes down the drain. So therefore, I think at this point, operations are a very important aspect that firms need to take into account. I'll give another example. And, and that example, I would say, look at the tech firms and their CEOs, even the bigger ones like Google 
or Microsoft. These CEOs also have engineering backgrounds. So therefore, as you could see, so product development background, product ownership, which if you think in terms of IT is their core product and core operational aspect. And they understand it well, perhaps. That's why they are doing better. So therefore, I think, you know, it's a moment where both should recognize the importance of operational excellence because we are also, if I say we are getting into recession and inflationary conditions where efficiency of operations in general will matter apart from all these supply chain issues. So you, you can't guide CEOs on that unless you have a, a nice or you know, well-developed operational leader in your board. Mm. That's good to hear. Uh, we, we always like to hear things that from other disciplines like uh, accounting and, uh, and finance that operations is also impor- important. Maybe one last question, and that's uh, how do you see corporate governance evolving, uh, let's say, in the next five years or so? It's always difficult to predict future, but definitely the trends are very clear. People, investors, society, they demand more accountability and transparency from firms. And therefore, some responsibility to ascertain this uh, responsibility and transparency will fall on boards. Now, whether it is a good thing or bad thing, it's very difficult to comment. But definitely burdening boards with a lot of liabilities and questions that they need to consider uh, will make board work heavier. If I look at Finland, you definitely have a new kind of profession emerging because people want to take care of their career. You have people who have a lot of experience in big pharmaceutical firms, big firms, uh, financial sectors, consulting, and they call themselves board professionals. So they sit on boards and that's the only thing they do. And they already have gained experience so they don't need to become CEO of another firm. And board members are getting compensated, uh, which means that there is a scope for devoted board members, motivated board members, competent board members who can push, push the agenda of the future, which is about the stakeholder welfare. So... Um, these these things will definitely become important and 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 i would also say that board diversity of and again you know when i talk about diversity i would like to clarify that i'm a big believer of substantial diversity compared to symbolic diversity that we have two minorities 10 women rather than that we say that oh we have 10 women nothing against minorities and we have 10 women and out of which, you know, some of them are great experts on sustainability. Some others are financial experts. And some come from different parts of the world because there are different cultural elements attached to it. And, and why I'm saying this is important is it's the welfare of stakeholders will also matter for welfare of shareholders. Because economy and business are embedded in society. And, and therefore, if... There are risks in societal aspects or political aspects. It will be transferred to businesses because, you know, you are 
working under a systemic risk condition. But just to give you an example, uh, there have been studies that have found that uh, municipal bonds that municipalities raise debt on. So municipal bonds raised by municipalities that are under threat from climate issues, for example, they can get submerged, they are coastal areas. They have higher coupon rates, which means they have to pay more interest. And then there are also research on mortgages that at the same distance from the beach, if a home has future potential of being submerged under the sea and the other one hasn't, 7% discount is the price for uh, such firms in the U.S., such houses in the U.S. So these kind of climate issues are going to affect, let's say, uh, financial soundness of firms. So they are becoming important. The bad news is, as we discussed, we don't yet understand how smaller actions affect climate and what kind of climate will emerge in future. Of course, in broad principle, we understand there are issues we can measure what will be, you know, the sea level rises and what kind of coastal areas will go down. We understand it to a great extent. I'm not saying we don't, but I still think that there are a lot of things that we don't understand in this area. So therefore, as and when issues come, we will have to take into account. That will make boards work burdensome. That will give more leeway to CEOs. So I don't know if we are moving in a good direction or bad. It's very difficult to say, but these are kind of trade-offs and issues that will affect the board work. Plus also, I think governments are hell-bent on pushing too much regulation. And there is enough debate on whether regulation is good or not. Because regulation can also result in tick boxes. We have done this. And therefore, we are no more liable for any problem that happens. Okay, great. Well, thank you so much, uh, Vikash, for uh, your time. It's been very interesting, uh, maybe a not-so-common uh, uh, theme for operational leaders, so we definitely appreciate your view on these uh, important topics of uh, corporate uh, governance. Thank you, Gautam. That's it for this week's Operations Leadership Podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. And until next time.